you, Lord. Wonderful Sunday school lesson we had this morning about the Lord making our feet like hind's feet, keeping us from slipping and falling uh, when the enemy comes against us. And in those times of trouble, trouble I appreciate Jordan and Patricia teaching that and taking the time to prepare. Uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, we're just going to read one verse, verse 18. First Peter 3, 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. It's a wonderful scripture here. It tells us what Jesus did for us and why he did it in this one passage. What he did for us and what he did for all men and why he did it. And really it says that, that the second half of verse 18 or the, the middle portion where he says the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. And I think what a savior, what a friend, what a, what a, a calling that we have upon our lives that he saved us, that he might bring us to God. And this is what, what we're going to talk about here this morning for just a little while. He suffered for sins. We know that. A lot of animals were sacrificed for sins. Jesus was the final sin sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. There are no more blood sacrifices that have to be made for sin. Jesus was that final sin sacrifice that was made. He suffered for sins, but not just generically. He suffered for your sins. He suffered my, for my sins. He suffered for the sins of the world. He suffered for the sins of people who are saved. And he suffered for the sins of people who are not saved and are never going to be saved. But he paid the price on Calvary that whosoever will, amen, whosoever will believe upon him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is a wonderful thought. It's a wonderful promise from the Lord. He paid, when he died on the cross, he paid the righteous just demands for sin. There's a penalty for sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid that. He paid it, and he didn't pay it partially. He paid it in full. It's paid in full, like if you have a rubber stamp that says on a ticket, when you paid off your house, you paid off a car, whatever, paid in full. It is done. And the Lord Jesus paid that in full. We don't have to add to that. We don't have to go to purgatory and, and make up for some, th some, some things or some sins ourselves. We could never, ever do it. Jesus did it. He did it for us. We're not adding to that at all. We can't take away from it. He died for the sins of the world that whosoever believes in him would have everlasting life. All that have put, all men and women and young people that have put their trust solely in the Lord and holy or completely upon Jesus Christ and his finished work of redemption. For all who have done that and repented and given their lives to Christ, we're saved. Amen. We're saved. What has the Lord given to us? We don't even have time to talk about what the Lord's given to us for all those that have done it. He has given us forgiveness of sins and he has given, given us the gift of eternal life. Amen. The Bible speaks of in Acts of repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is not some scary Bible word. It's a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction. We say, I'm living for myself. We hear the gospel. God, by the grace of God and by His Spirit, gives us the faith to believe, and we turn to Him. It's a turning, and we turn everything over to the Lord, and we put it in His hands, and we stay turned 
to the Lord. Amen? And so all that have repented have been forgiven of sins, all of our sins, your worst sins, your ones you think are little sins, and everything in between. He has forgiven us of our sins, and he has given us the gift of eternal life. Now, having said that, this is what we read in 1 Peter 3, 18. Uh, so many stop right there. So many stop right there. And what I mean by that, a lot of people come to Christ for salvation, and they stop there. They see no call of God upon their life. They, they see no further calling of the Lord upon their life, whether they're ignorant of it, whether they're just unaware of it, or whether they know about it or aren't indifferent to it. Some people know about it and just indifferent. That's not for me, and they, they kind of slough it off. But Jesus, what Jesus made out of the people that followed him, he made them disciples. I know that you know this. The word disciple means a learner or a follower. He didn't just make converts that converted to Christianity, and then he left them and went somewhere else, and they went back their merry way. Uh, he made disciples, and he tells us as Christians that we are to make disciples of men. Disciple is a follower or a learner. Jesus said that where, where I am, there will, my, there will my disciples be also. So it's, there's a calling of God. It's not just, uh, it's not just well, I'm, I'm saved. I've, I've, I'm forgiven. When I die, I'm going to heaven and not hell. And I would say hallelujah that when we're saved, you know, when we believe in Christ, we're saved. When we die, we're going to heaven and not hell. Hallelujah for that. That is part of why Jesus died, amen? But as blessed as that is, and many scriptures like it, there's more. There's much more in the Lord. Uh, a lot of people say, I've checked all the right boxes when it comes to salvation. I believe this, this, and this. I confessed here, and I believe that. And they, but they don't see any call of God upon their lives. Can I, I can tell you from the Bible, there's a call of God upon our lives, amen? We belong to him. We're to be disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to just read this verse. Truly, truly, or verily, verily, Jesus said, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, or present tense, has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So that is the salvation that we have in Jesus. And we could, we could go on and for hours and hours and talk more about just what we have in Christ because of the blood of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, and so forth by faith. But as blessed as that scripture is and that promise is, I believe the Lord would give us a, a warning, a sober warning this morning, woe to the man or woman who stops there, who stops there. You're saved, you're saved. I'm not going to argue with you. You know if you're really saved, and God knows if you're really saved, and the Holy Ghost bears witness to your heart and to your spirit that you belong to Christ. But if you belong to Christ, there's also a call of God upon your life and upon my life. And we don't want to stop short of it, what, to just come short and not see it, to think or to assume that since I have been saved, I believe the gospel that the goal, basically, of my salvation is already reached, and it has not been reached. The Lord's going to take us. We're in his hands. We're under, in the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit has sealed us into the day of redemption. He's keeping us all through this life. And like I said, if you're saved, you're saved. He will bring us all the way to heaven. But there's a call of God upon your life, and there's a call of God upon my life, and it's a call to holiness. There are a lot of people that say, I'm already saved, and they pursue no further calling of God, they to pursue the Lord any further, 
and I liken it to, uh, to a, uh, let's say we, down in the south we have a lot of azalea bushes and rose bushes, and when these things come to, to bud, a lot of Christians are like this. They, they come to a bud, but they never bloom. They come to the bud, and you say, that, that's going to be a beautiful uh, pink azalea or a beautiful red rose. It comes to that bud, and they stop there. They never bloom. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm saying they don't bloom into the fullness of, of what God has intended for us to be. Their growth is stunted. They never go on to be what God intended them to be. That would be weird, you know, in the springtime or whenever these things uh, bud. We can all look at a plant and say, Oh, there's some little flower buds on there. There's some fruit buds on that tree and some flower buds. It would be strange if you look at it in two weeks from now, two months from now, and it's still that little bud, and you say, what's up with that? That thing, everybody else's are blooming. This should have been blooming by now. And I think that is the way for a lot of Christians. They're, they're genuinely Christians in the sense that they've believed in Jesus Christ and they're saved. They've trusted in the Lord, but they don't see or pursue a further calling of God upon their lives. And God has much intended for your life and my life in Christ. It is not just simply to take us to heaven. Amen. We read it in, we, in the first scripture we opened with. You can look at it again. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. This is what he did for us. The just for the unjust. Here's the reason that he did it. That he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. He actually, I actually picture Christ, because he is doing this, bearing us and carrying us to, to the Father. Bearing us and carrying us uh, to his Father. And we know this, the scripture in John chapter 14 where Jesus said to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Right? You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And, I, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. What does he say there? That where I am, there ye may be also. The whole thought is that we would be with God. Jesus died for our sins so we'd be forgiven. And he doesn't just say, I'm so glad you're forgiven. The whole point is that we're reconciled to God. The whole point is that we're with the Lord. He's a holy God. And even in heaven and even in the home that he's preparing for us in heaven, the whole thought is, I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going away. John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again and receive you where? To myself. That where I am, his home's in heaven, that where I am, there ye may be also. Isn't that wonderful thought? Uh, I talk about, I've thought of this uh, over the years many times about a, you know, the governor or the president, one of their, one of the authorities that they have is to pardon a criminal, right? To pardon someone. They have that authority. Uh, some are questionable or whatever, but they do have that authority. And let's just say in Louisiana there was a notable criminal that had done horrible things to, to men, women, children, whatever, and the, the, the governor pardons this individual. They were pardoned and they were forgiven, but I can promise you this governor is not going to let them come to a sleepover with their children, this individual that's been pardoned. They're forgiven. They're legally forgiven and set free. They're not behind bars anymore. There's, there's no more sentence to fulfill. They're in a right standing with society legally. But this man, this governor is not going to allow that person to go just on their family vacations and hang out with them probably. Okay? 
There, but what the Lord does for us, we're pardoned and we're forgiven, forgiven, but we're also welcomed into his family. The whole point is that to redeem us unto God, to bring us unto God. And that's an amazing thing because he loves us. Can't leave love out of the picture. He loves us. He loves us while we're in sin. And then he redeems us to, him, to himself, washes us clean from our sin that, that there's no wall of partition between us anymore. There's nothing that comes between me and my Lord anymore, and I can be with him. And so the Lord's heart and the Lord's purpose and the Lord's intent in man's redemption is far greater than sparing us from hell. It includes that, and that is great. And honestly, if that's all that the Lord did for us in salvation, that would be plenty. That would be a miracle of mercy beyond compare to spare us from an eternal separation from God. The Bible says that hell is a place of fire where the fire is not quenched, of darkness, of weeping, of gnashing of teeth. And he spared us from that by the blood of Jesus when we put our faith in him. But the calling of God is far greater than that. The calling of God is far greater than that. The calling of God is actually a calling to God. The calling of the Lord upon the life of the believer is a calling to God that he might bring us to God. And he is doing that. I wonder, and, and God is holy. And this is really where we want to switch gears here just a little bit. If the call is to bring us to God and God is holy, and he can't fellowship with uncleanness and sin, he can forgive it. He can pardon it. He can deal with it through the blood of Jesus and make a remedy for that. But he doesn't just fellowship with sin. He's a holy God. We sang the song, and, and then the, even the verses that Alberto and, and Chris read from Isaiah, right? Isaiah, Isaiah it was in, uh, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, his train fell in the temple. And as soon as he saw him, and Isaiah was a righteous man at this time, he said, oh, I'm undone. I'm unclean. I'm a sinner. I dwell in the midst of sinful people. He was far better than the rest, and he was somebody that trusted God and believed, trusted in the Lord and believed God. But when he saw him in the light of God's holiness, that's what it was at that moment that he saw. He saw the holiness of God. And God had a provision uh, of the angel flying and getting the coal from before the altar of God, placing it upon his tongue and said, Lo, this has cleansed you and purged you and made you clean. In other words, this God had a remedy to to cleanse the man sufficiently to where he could stand before the Lord and not die, okay? And so uh, he's a holy God, and if our call is to be with him, that he might bring us to God, that God is holy, then there's a work of holiness that needs to be done in our lives. We say, isn't not all that done at the cross? And when we come to Christ, yes and no. Yes in the sense that we're holy and sanctified unto the Lord, at salvation, we're robed in the righteousness of Christ. We don't have to earn our salvation. We don't have to perform uh, to, to, to be righteous. But just in behavior and in practice and in mind and in heart and in life, there's a lot of things in our life that are not holy. And we know it if we were honest. And so God begins to deal with those in our lives. That is sanctification. That is a call of God. Your sanctification in Christ, not to fit you for heaven, but to make you holy in practice, that your life would honor God and have unbroken communion with the Lord, that is something that's ongoing. That is something 
that God is working in us to do, will and do of his good pleasure. I want to read this. Or no, let's turn to it and read it. Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place with them also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. He's holy. He dwells in a holy place. Don't let that word scare you. It would be scary if I said, I have to be holy enough to get to heaven. I have to be holy enough to approach God. However am I going to do that? And God says, I've done that for you if you'll trust me and believe me. Okay? And so he's a holy God. He inhabits eternity. And he dwells in a high and holy place. And he dwells with them that are of a contrite and humble spirit. They come before the Lord and say, you know what? I'm not holy. I'm not good. I'm not righteous. I don't deserve heaven. I deserve hell. But I'm coming to you, God, because you have made a provision for me. You're a holy God, and you can fit me for, for heaven. And you can fit me to be part of your family. You can give me your life instead of mine. And he comes and he lives in our hearts by faith we believe. I heard one, one uh, man of God say this, and I, I agree with him. In the context of what we're talking about, holiness not safety is the goal of our calling. Holiness, not safety, is the goal of our calling. And again, it's that he might bring us to God and he's a holy God. When one is born again, we're safe. So that safety is already there by the blood of Jesus. But he doesn't just save us and, and zap us to heaven, translate us to heaven instantly. He saves us and leaves us here. And you know since you've been saved, you might have lied before. You might have cursed since you've been saved. You might have stolen something you've been, since you've been saved. You might have a, a gossip since you've been saved. You might have had unkind words come out of your mouth since you've been saved. You're still saved, but there's a work of holiness that needs to be done in all of our lives. All of us, every single one. There, God is wanting to do that. Holiness, not just safety, is the goal of our calling. Some of you may have heard of Paris Reedhead, and some of you may have heard of probably his most famous sermon, Ten Shekels in a Shirt. I've listened to it many times in my life, and it, it ministers to my heart every single time. But he has one, one thought in there, a statement where he talks about that there's people that are come to Christ just to, to check off all the right boxes. I believe he's born of a virgin, I believe died for my sins. He's the only way, and I believe all that. And they come just because he says they don't want their skin to be singed in hell. That's the only reason. There's no real love for God. There's no desire to live for God. They come and believe the gospel, and if that's true in their hearts and lives, then they're saved. But they're coming for the purpose of, I just don't want to burn in hell and my skin be burned for eternity. So that's the only reason I'm coming. But there's a high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's a high calling. That's what it says in Philippians chapter 3. That's what it says all through the Bible. Paul calls it the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's high. High in the sense, higher morally, higher in every way. It's an upward calling. Not to grovel back down in my sin and, and despair and, and, and all of that stuff, but to walk above it by the grace of God. 
and to be like the one who saved me. Where the Bible says, for whom God did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So it doesn't just say who he, who he foreknew. He, he says, I'm going to take him to heaven. Well, he is going to bring us to heaven. But he says, I also predestinated them to be conformed to the image of my son. Now, I'm not th- I don't think salvation is something that's predestined. We have a choice to make. But in salvation, if I choose Christ, there is a predestination in Christ. And that is to be like Jesus. Amen? I have the choice to make, but once I make it, I belong to him. And he's got a perfect will. He's going to begin fulfilling that in my life and in your life. Amen? And so you've heard the word reconciled. And it might not be a word that we we use all the time, but the Bible uses this word. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures to you just real quickly. 2 Corinthians 5.18, all things are of God. Who hath reconciled us where? I think this is interesting. God has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Romans 5.10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So this is not just saying that when you're forgiven of sins and going to heaven. A lot of people... Christianity is just that. If I give my life to Christ, it's just because I want my sins forgiven and I don't want to go to hell. And again, if that's sincere, prayerfully they'll come that way and they can grow in the Lord after that. But we need to grow in the Lord after that. It says, we've been reconciled to God by the death of his son. And so that word reconciled means to change mutually, to compound a difference. So here's two, two elements that are totally contrary. They have nothing to do with each other. And they're compounded together mutually and brought into like this one mixture. That's what it means to be reconciled. It, it's, uh, it means two parties that are estranged, like a marriage, and they're separated. And God does a miracle and brings them back together perfectly. That's the picture, okay? We were enemies of God. We've been reconciled unto God by the death of his son. So just picture, everything's about coming to the Lord, not just forgiveness of sins, but being forgiven of our sins because he's a holy God, and we can be forgiven of our sins and be holy too in Jesus, amen, and reconciled to the Lord. And so it's not, reconciliation is not a compromise on God's part. He said, well, I'll just let some sinners on in. You know, I really like them. I'm just going to let them on in. He never does that. He's not one person. He loves us all, Amen. But we're only going to get to heaven by the blood of Jesus. We're only going to be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. We're only going to be part of God's family by the blood of Jesus, by trusting in the Lord. So it's not a compromise on God's part. It's a miracle on God's part to to justify the ungodly by faith in Jesus. Amen? But to, to really work in our lives to make us like his son. He's not compromising by letting some rabble into heaven like you and me. He's forgiving us. He's sanctifying us. He's working in us. He's saving us, and he's making us holy. Amen? So we have peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have peace with God, but all that is done, again, that he might bring us to himself, that we might be with the Lord. That's a loving Savior. I promise you, he wants to be with you, be with you in communion fellowship, right, in your thoughts, in your heart, in your more than we want to be with him. We need God to change our hearts to where we have 
I long for the Lord this much. I want to long for him that much. You know what I mean? I want to long for the Lord. Jesus said, this is said in Mark chapter 2. You don't have to turn there, but the beginning of this gospel, Mark chapter 2, verse 14, speaking about Jesus, he prayed all night, and he says in the morning he ordained 12 that they should be with him. That sounds simple. We just kind of read over it. But he ordained 12 disciples because he wanted them to be with him. He wanted them to take his yoke and learn of him. He wanted them to see that his burden is easy, his yoke is light. He wanted them to find rest for their souls. He wanted them to be with him. Jesus ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. That being with the Lord came before sending them forth to preach. Amen. We have to be with the Lord. And so... He wants to bring us to God. Jesus said this towards it, before he went to the cross. He told his disciples in John 15, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. He wants us to be with him. I've called you friends. Again, that, that governor that pardons some rapist, he, he might pardon him for some reason, but he's not going to call him his friend. He's not going to treat him like a friend. For all things that I've heard of my Father have made known unto you. You know what friend here means? It means dear, fond friend. Dear, fond friend. And so the men and women that, that, when we look at men and women of the Bible, or even since the Bible days, that we would consider a hero of the faith, and there are many that we would talk about. We're talking about Elijah on Wednesday nights. They were heroes of the faith, so to speak, not because there was something innate, innately like supernatural about them and their makeup they were that because they knew the lord they saw and heard this calling of god upon their lives to go on in a life with god a life of holiness a life uh, to be devoted to the lord at all costs and above all other pursuits and they did it they recognized the call of god and they by the grace of god walked in that call that's the only reason they were what they were. Their faith grew. They, you could say that they budded and then they bloomed. They budded like they're well supposed to, and then John they bloomed. And their life is a testimony. Whether they lived a long time or a short time, John the Baptist didn't live long. His ministry wasn't for long. But he, he budded and bloomed, amen? He budded and bloomed all the way. And there was a call of God upon his life, and he fulfilled it. And all of us do. Again, it's a high calling of God. And holiness, not just safety, is the goal of our calling. I have one more scripture I want you to turn with me to, to 1 Thessalonians. We could look at so many scriptures in the Bible, y'all, just for this message this morning. This is what God has given us. But look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll read verses 1 through 3, and then we'll skip down. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, so they're already brothers in Christ, and yet still there's a beseeching. There's something we want you to do. There's a calling of God we want you to know about. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For ye know what commandment we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. So there's something further that, that he's beseeching them to beyond just their right 
righteous standing because of the blood of Jesus. You see, there's something practical. Holiness, in, in one sense, is very practical, that we, we live like Jesus lived. We can only do that by the Holy Ghost in us. We can only do it if we're saved already. We can only do it by the grace of God. But, but it is a call nonetheless. And he says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Right here he's talking about uh, this particular sin, that you should abstain from fornication. Look at verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. That is a call. He's talking to Christian brothers. He's not telling them you need to be saved. These are saved people. And he's saying this is the call of God upon our lives. Think about it. Uh, there, is a, there is a way that if the Lord is king and he is king, then there's a way that a child of the king should live. If I'm really his child, then there's a way that would be befitting the saints of God that the scriptures talk about. There's a way I should live privately. There's a way I should live publicly. There's a way I should live when I'm around lost people. There's a way I should live when I'm in church or around other Christians. There's a way I should live when things are going great and, and I, everything's falling in place. And a way I should live when everything seems to be going contrary. It's a way that's befitting God, and it is holiness in the Lord. Amen? Holiness, and I'm going to be moving on, but holiness over the years, I believe, well, I know it has, has the biblical concept of holiness has, has been perverted. It's been maligned. It's even been ridiculed and rejected. The biblical definition or, or concept of holiness, and we would expect that from the world, the world looking at the church and just thinking we're a bunch of holier-than-thou people. But we see it in the churches more and more. People, people are, are actually uh, discouraged from trying to live biblically, and they're going to say that they're Christians, but, they're, uh, but they don't appear to be in their lifestyle. I'll give you an example. Within the church, let's say you've got a group of people Christians or professing Christians that would call themselves Christians. And there's one in the midst of that group that says, you know what? Um, I want to live for God. Well, we all ought to be saying that. I want to live for God. They read the Bible. The Bible says, for example, uh, I'll set no evil thing before my eye. And so this individual is maybe a young believer, and they're just growing in Christ. And they're wanting to serve God. They're wanting to do what he says in his word we are to do. Not that they're perfect, but they generally desire to walk with God. And the scriptures say, I'll set no evil thing before my eye. He's sitting in a group of professing Christians, and they start watching some show on TV filled with all kinds of uh, sinful things. And this individual's convicted, and they get up and excuse themselves and leave. There is a camp within the church that would ridicule and mock that one. They would ridicule and say, oh, you're, you're holier than, than thou. And they would criticize this one. All this one's wanting to do is please God. Didn't we just read it in 1 Thessalonians, how you ought to walk and please God? And this one says, this isn't pleasing to God. I need to get out. And the others around them, maybe it's making them feel uncomfortable because they're not holy and have no desire to be holy. The honestly... This one wants to live for God, and so he, he does. He's not perfect, but he's really striving to live for God. That I've seen where that individual among Christians, or it's called self-professing Christians, is the one that's ridiculed. 
And I would say, hallelujah, keep going with God if you're that one over there. Because you know what? These over here that are doing the criticizing, they would rather criticize than try to live holy themselves. They think it's much easier to do that. But that's what I'm talking about. But holiness in, in the true biblical sense is a separation unto God. It means a consecration more Lord. It also has the, con- the meaning of being morally pure. Well, the Lord is the only one that's morally pure, right? But he does live in me. And I can live a life separated unto God by the grace of God. Holiness is not simply a long list of do's and don'ts. Certainly it includes do's and don'ts. The Bible includes do's and don'ts. Jesus, with his own mouth, spoke do's and don'ts for those that are going to follow him. But holiness is more than a long list. Do these things. Abstain from all these things. And holiness also is not something that's invented by a pastor or invented by God to to try to rob all the joy out of your life. Holiness is is a joyful life. Amen? To have that sin... Not only forgiven, but to have be delivered from the power of sin and to walk in victory over that in a very real, day-to-day, practical way. That is joy. It is very much joy. Um, holiness, holiness has to do with, with Christ-likeness. It has to do with being separated unto God and being like Him. And there are do's and don'ts, but it's all by the grace of God. It's by His grace we are what we are. It is by the Holy Spirit working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure that we are that. Amen. Keep, keep as a goal, when you think about living for God, when you think about being holy, when you think about sins in your life that you know are there, God wants to put them away. There's no doubt about that. and Put them out of my life as well. Think about it, the whole thought being a lot, that, that this is pleasing to God, that I'll put this out of my life because it's pleasing to God. Put it out, I'm going to put it out of my life by the grace of God because I want to have unbroken communion with the Lord. Think about it in those terms rather than 10 things to do, 10 things not to do. Just pursue after the Lord with all your heart. He will convince us and convict us of our sin, and he will also give us this grace and strength to, to come out of it. I'm talking to believers, okay? talking to believers there's a union with the lord we're already accepted in the blood that's beloved that's already but i can walk in a life uh, you and i can as believers can walk in a life in such a way that it pleases god that it truly is holy and we can live in such a way that i'm we're genuinely separated unto god and our communion with the lord is unbroken that's one of the things you say what's the big deal about sin i'm forgiven and i'm already saved what happens when we sin as a believer? Can we sin as a believer? Yes. What happens to me when I sin as a believer? Well, at that moment, I had to rebel against God. That's really what it is. It's a rebellion against God. And I'm not walking in the Spirit. What happens is that I've committed that sin. It dishonors God. I can be forgiven. And we need to quickly confess and repent, and God forgives us. But at that moment, my life, number one, didn't honor God. Number two, my fellowship with the Lord and that communion is is broken because god's not going to be a partaker of that sin with me he still loves me he still sees me doing it but he's not going to be a partaker with me and walk with me into that sinful tv show or whatever it may be he's not going to be part of that he sees me he's calling me out of it he'll give me the strength to come out of it when i come out if i repent he'll forgive me of it but he's not going to be with me in it in that sense amen and so our communion with the lord 
is, is sacrificed. And if that's not a big deal to us, then we need to check our, our hearts. If our communion with the Lord is no big deal and we can sin how we want to and it doesn't bother us, I would say we're probably not really saved. Amen. I'm going to bring this to a close. But he, Christ also hath once suffered the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. He wants to bring us to his Father that that communion would be what it's supposed to be. I would say this in closing. If you or I are stagnant in our spiritual growth, we're stagnant in any new, taking new ground in Christ, a new measure of holiness in our lives, in our, in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our, in our actions, in our conversation, then we need to go to the Lord. Maybe we're like this flower bud that's budded and we're just on hold. We're budded, and, we, you know, the whole point of a bud is that it become a flower. It's not supposed, it's not created to be a bud forever. It's created to be a bud for a certain time and then to bloom fully. And maybe our Christianity is like that. We're really saved. I'm in Christ. I'm, uh, he's, he's the vine. I'm the branch. And he's saying, it's time for you to bud. And we bud. And he says, it's time for you to bloom. And we hadn't bloomed because he's calling us to, to on to a further, deep, deeper walk with himself. And a lot of times we'll look around and say, well, they're not going on with God, and they're not going on with God. I guess I'll just park it right here and sit down. They're not your, they're not your uh, Lord and Savior. I can tell you that. I've shared this before. When I first committed my life to Christ fully, uh, right when I was graduating from LSU, I was, I was instantly in church. I was instantly around got men, young men my age, okay, single men, right about college age, and I saw very quickly, I, I think I just after a matter of a few weeks, this was all new to me, being a Christian. It was like this whole new exciting world I was going to walk in. And I saw real quickly there were some people to my left and my, and my right. They weren't going any further, at least at this point. They had no desire to go any further. And the Lord told me real quickly, this was early in my Christianity, he says, you need to decide, are you going to come on or not? And real quickly, he had already saved me and brought me out of the world. I said, I'm going on. I don't, these are my friends. They're my peers in the church, and they were saved. I said, but I'm going on. And we have decisions like that to make in our holiness. Some, some are fine watching this TV show or listening to this music or whatever. And here's one that's got a call upon their life, and they know it. They all have them. Every believer has the call. This one realizes it, and they actually want to do it. That's the one God's going to take, and he's going to help us on. Amen? He's going to bring us on. Do you can come up. I want to close with this scripture. Jesus said in John 17, right before he went to the garden, and we'd be arrested that night, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. It's, it's, so holiness and, and being separated unto God is not the, the thought is not to, to take all the fun out of life. He says, I'll, I'll, "Lord, these that you've given to me, I, I, I pray that they'll be with me where I am." And he goes on to say that they may behold my glory, the glory that that you have given me. God wants us to be with them, so that we'll be able to walk in that, share in that glory with the Lord. Be a partaker of that. See him high lifted up. Have that unbroken communion with the Lord. Amen. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness 
in the fear of God. That's what Paul says to the church, to those that are saved in Corinth. Y'all stand with me this morning.